Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, the city centre podcast for Manchester and Salford, brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company. I'm Vaughan Allen from CityCo, which you should know by now if you listen to any of these. Today, I'm in the lovely Facenda, not quite surrounded by meat, though there are a few salamis and things around us, meeting the restaurant's co-founder, Thomas Monnier. Uh, Facenda started in Leeds in 2010 and now has four venues, or are you up to five yet? Uh, we've got Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Edinburgh, and we're opening Birmingham now, so that's going to be so the fifth one. For and then we have Picanha, which is like a, um, a sub-brand of Fazenda in Chester. So that's six restaurants. Six restaurants, okay. And uh, Manchester Restaurant, rather appropriately, uh, celebrated its fourth anniversary yesterday, we saw from the tweets. Yeah. Um, it seems only yesterday that we were having our Christmas party here, the first Christmas <laughs> that you were open and going, having that meat hangover afterwards, which was, which was very good. Um, the Fazenda crew also, they also work in and operate TAST, uh, the Pep Guardiola-linked Catalan restaurant on King Street, uh, that's managed to get praise even from curmudgeonly London critics like Giles Curran, and is doing rather well in a spot that previously had had a few disasters. So to start, Thomas, let's go right yep. back. Um, give us a bit of your background, and how did you get into restaurants? Oh, how did God. the restaurants come about? If I have to start talking, it will take days. This is going to be a five-hour podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm actually a lawyer. Um, by degree, a family or lawyers. Um, halfway through my degree career, I chose to start working in marketing because I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, but I have to admit that that gave me a lot of tools. Huh? So anybody out there listening and thinking that uh, you're doing a career that might not be what you end up working on, it doesn't matter. Because the truth is that uh, anything that you learn will be used in the future, trust me, yeah? Um, does, does that mean you check the contracts quite closely before they even go to your legal team? I think... I don't take that responsibility. We've got lawyers that do that, but I, I do have a very, my mind is clear on what law is and what is, you know, the, the, the real, on the day-to-day environment, you know what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. That's what I mean, yeah, from a legal perspective. So if someone comes and says A to me, I say no. I'm sure that no law will ever, you know, accept something like that. And, uh, and then you also know about, the, the, the responsibilities you have as a business, because I actually mastered in, in uh, international business law. So I also understand the importance of, you know, procedures, places, and et cetera. It doesn't matter. But uh, from there, I jumped into marketing, which was really what I was passionate about in a way. And um, I started working in marketing. Eventually, my wife got a scholarship to come and study here in the UK. That was 11 years ago. We were meant to be here for a year and a half. And you know how those things go, you know, you just... Uh, we arrived, I, I got a job in marketing and I was working for um, uh, other jobs, but eventually I ended up working in a, um, for a company from London that was based, well, we, I was managing the HBOS accounts, living in Halifax, oh, sorry, in Huddersfield, working in Halifax. And uh, in Huddersfield, I met Robert, the MD here, my business partner, who had a restaurant, an Argentinian restaurant, and we became really good friends. And one day he said to me, why don't we do something together? And that's how I ended up in this business. So I had no experience. It was purely on me liking drinking wine and eating food and understanding brands. That's how I Which, which can be a bit dangerous if you're passionate about something first and then to go into the business. But I suppose if you have a partner who's already experienced in that business yes, and successful, that, that's very helpful. But I have a, you know, my, my view is that um, although every business or every industry has its, its little things that you need to learn and understand, the overall view of business for me is always the same. If you love what you do and you, and you do it with passion and you understand numbers, because a lot of people don't realize that you can be a great cook but, or a great chef, but doesn't mean that you're going to be a great restaurateur. So you, you need to understand numbers and people. 
That's the other area that I think a lot of business people make the mistake of not realizing how people, how important people is. And I've always been really good with people. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll come back to people and staffing yeah. in, in a bit. But um, so was it between the two of you that the idea for Fazenda yes. came and developed? Yes. And, and what was your sort of your original two line elevator pitch for what you wanted that concept to be? Well, what we. I mean, I'm, I'm Brazilian, uh, born in Brazil, but most of my life I live in Argentina. Robert is Argentinian, so we are gauchos in a way. Um, we always loved our meats. Robert had an Argentinian restaurant in Huddersfield, um, and we wanted to do something that, that had meat in it, but we wanted to do something different, something that was no one ever seen here in the UK. And there were other Brazilian restaurants, yeah, around, but we... But we knew that no one was doing it to 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 the markets that 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 I think we aim today, which is the high end of the market. Yeah. Um, so we thought about you know again this was my business mentality there I guess thinking USP you know so unique selling points something that is unique but also aim to unique aim on on the market so no one else had that market. And, uh, and that, so you're not aiming at the mass buffet audience. Exactly. You know, we, we never wanted to do that. We knew that the, the competition would be fearless if we did that. And, and it wasn't us. Because that's the other thing I think business people sometimes don't realize. Um, you, you can't pretend to sell something that you're not. And, and I don't go to mass marketplaces. Therefore, I cannot represent that. It would be difficult for me to represent it. I go to fun places, yes, but I would not be able to do an, you know, an all-you-can-eat Chinese restaurant because that doesn't represent me. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that I'll be, I'll struggle to know what a, 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 I would be. I'll struggle to put myself in the shoes of my aimed, targeted, you know, guest. And that's the, that's what I think is. Different. And was there yeah. was there always an aim from the beginning to have a chain, or were you just looking at one to start with? Did you did you have that horizon well, thinking? We, we're a group of four people, yeah. Um, and within the four of us, I think everybody had a different view. Uh, now, if you're asking me, no, I always wanted to have more than one. I think the word chain is a difficult word to use here in the UK because people associate chain with something negative. Always oh, a chain. Um, um, so. We, we like to see us, because we're so involved with the business and it's really us behind it on a regular basis, we like to see us as an independent chain in a way, you know, because, you know, we, we're not just someone in an office not knowing what's happening or, or not being around or, uh, or not having the... There's a, there's, there's a personal aspect in all our restaurants, in all the team that we hire. So, um, you know, I, I believe that brands are better represented or have a better, better impact when there's a face behind it. Yeah, because people associate with people. And that's why I, I still believe that we're not a chain as such. But yeah, I always wanted more than one. Robert wanted one at the beginning. But it's been pretty steady progress, isn't it? If you start in 2010, it's not like you went from one running. to 20 by the end of that Yeah, year. we're not running. This is a conversation that we've had many times. Uh, we've been approached by many people um, to try to roll them out a little bit faster. But we, we, we're not running. When you're looking for something that is about quality, you don't run. You make sure that everything is ready for you to move to the next step. So, for example, this year, as a business, we opened three restaurants. And that has been very, very demanding for us. Super challenging. But we built up the team to get where we are today in the last couple of years. So, if I had done this three years ago, we wouldn't be talking now, to be honest. Yeah. Personally, I mean, coming from a marketing background, I mean, even from studying law... The hours that you work in the F and B sector are very different and very. Well, did you find that personally quite hard? I am. Is it quite I, a shock to you. I think I'm still paying um, 
you know, I probably lost a few years in my life. Um, yes, a lot of people don't realize what this is like. And I'm not talking about being a waiter or a chef or, or a bartender. Yeah, they are hard hours, they are difficult hours, more unsocial hours than number of hours, yeah? Because I imagine that most people working on, 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 on offices nowadays, they don't do 40 hours a week. Very few people do 40 hours a week as such, yeah? You probably do 50. That's what my teams do, you know? We, we really strongly not like our teams to do too many hours, yeah? Um, because we, we want people that are fresh and happy working instead of being completely demoralized and, and you know, um, not, 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 not feeling that, that happiness and pass it on to the guests. Um, but when you're an owner, or, or you have a lot invested in, the, in, in this industry, there's no stop. Seven days a week, from early in the morning till very late in the nights, and you only sleep five hours a, a day, yeah? For, for months and months and ends. And, uh, and that's what it was like for the first couple of years. Now we've got a different environment, a different structure, and I have my weekends, and I don't work very long hours. I mean, I do work long hours, but not on site. I, I work at home because I still put a lot into this business on a regular basis, but uh, I'm not on site for long hours. And, um, and it's different now, but those two years were mega hard. Not only hard on me, hard on my family. And I think a lot of people that go into this industry don't realize that. So if you're planning on doing it, my suggestion is understand that you're going into that. Yeah, and I suppose that's when you start out as well. You haven't got that team that you can rely on as well. I mean, you may have Absolutely. one or two people who are At the beginning, call. when you have the first one, you don't have it. You need to cut every corner in the sense of wage-wise that you can without affecting service or quality of products. So you, you're always looking at the fine numbers, yeah? To be successful, you have to do that, yeah? We still do that today, but from a different level, yeah? But, but as a person, those two years were very, very difficult, very difficult. Um, talk about how the businesses are funded. Do you have external investors as well? Uh, no. Have you been looking for funding? Um, we haven't actively been looking. You know, the, the reality is that this industry has gone through a, a very strange, um, probably 10 years now since the recession. Um, we, we are all funded by ourselves. Yeah, we, we do have a bank that helps us and it's, it helps us. And then sometimes, you know, we... Um, we put more money ourselves into the business, but today the business is, is self-funded. It, it's just been doing amazingly well. I hope, fingers crossed, and touching wood now, yeah? Um, but uh, we hopefully we'll carry on like this. But the reality is that this industry has gone through a, a huge change for the last 10 years. And I think it's got to do with the fact that um, this is an industry of, it's a cash-generating industry, yeah? So when the, 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 the 2008 bank, um, crisis came along as a, as a fund, as a business fund, as a, as a money fund, as a private equity fund. Um, a lot of these equities had money put into businesses that uh, for them to generate cash, you know, you didn't have the cash in hand until maybe 60, 90 days. So I think all these people realized, oh, wait a minute, people are eating more now. People are spending money when they go out um, and it's cash generating. So I know when I'm going to get my money and I know I am going to get my money. And you can see the business on a daily basis, how it's progressing instead of, you know, f f signing contracts for three years time or two years time is, is what happens today that you know for certainty. Um, so a lot of money got diverted to this industry. Um, and, and you had all, you still have today, a lot of equities that are looking for successful businesses to invest money in. So in the last five years, six years, we had a lot of people knocking on my doors or our doors, yeah, a lot of people. 
Um, but we haven't done it yet because I don't think it's the time. We're happy doing what we're doing. Um, we, we, we think that we've been growing in a good pace and, um, and it's always scary to, to, you know, get someone else on board and get, you know, big leverage of money. You always, you're scared. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. You know, we, we talked about it a few times, but it hasn't been the time yet for us. Yeah, there's that model, I think you're right, that came out of 2008, 20, 2010, I guess, of, of the private equity investing in, in restaurants that were chains. Yeah. And, and certainly, I guess the Byron model is a classic where um, you, you massively expand looking for about half a percent margin on every single site and then get a business rates revaluation that takes that half percent away and turns it into minus one percent totally. when you've got multiple sites. And that becomes a real yeah, issue at yeah. that point, doesn't it? Yeah. Funnily Th- enough, you know, on my way here, I was in task this morning and on my way over here, to meet you um i looked at a couple of places that were doing cheap uh, christmas deals yeah and i was thinking wow you know you you if you really think about how much margin these guys probably are doing on that um and you think about the rent and the rates that our industry are having to pay nowadays yeah not only ours but also retail um yeah the margins are very small a lot of people don't see that and that's how easy something can be snapped you know can go down because that fine margin, as you say, a 5% or a 0.5% or a 1% can disappear from one day to the next. Pound drops, uh, Brexit votes, whatever it is, can have an impact and then boom, you're done. And, and you see it also, I mean, one of the, I think one of the impacts, certainly in Manchester, but I think it's true in Leeds and Liverpool and other northern cities as well, is... Um, and I wonder how much for sender... I, I don't think you suffer from it particularly, but you, you can certainly see the latest restaurant where all the smart people go for a while and then another one opens and suddenly that previous restaurant is only half full and they've built their business plans and their business cases on continuing to be at that level and then it becomes a real issue and we've seen that in, a, in quite a large number of places in this immediate area in spinning fields but also up in the northern quarter where you had the wonderful bakery that was lovely as soon as the Mackie Mayor opened bakery seemed to be empty and within three months it had to be closed at that So you don't seem to suffer from that. You're not really a trendy restaurant in quite that way. No, and again, I'm going to touch wood now. Every every business gets a little bit of impact when something that's big on the press turns up. That's normal, yeah. Um, But but because what I said before, we've got a USP, you know, that is very strong, and we're unique in the market. Um, And even if we weren't unique, I think there's still a brand behind what we do that's seen in a very good way. we haven't suffered any of that up until today in any of our cities. When there's a big influx of restaurants, like for example, what happened in Liverpool, Manchester and Leeds in the last three, four years, there's always a little bit of a suffering. Yeah, we haven't suffered it here in Manchester in particular. We suffered very little in, in, in uh, Leeds and very little in Liverpool. Yeah, um, But that's because the reality is that the, the, the market has grown a lot faster than the, the amount of people. So, you know, you've got more restaurants opening or bakeries and, and you look at the amount of people that are prepared to go and dine out today, the, the equation doesn't match. And it does, the market corrects itself in a way, yeah? But we've been doing amazing well for eight years now. Yesterday, or no, the 11th, actually the 11th, we're making eight years in Leeds, for example. And we haven't dropped, you know? We just had a very small little seasonal drop this year with, uh, with uh, the World Cup, for example. I think it affected a lot of people because England did so well that, uh, and the weather was unbelievable that people were more thinking about drinking and doing their own barbecues than going out for dinner. Um, but, um, you know, eight years. If I think about it, eight years. 
that's a lot. That's a huge success from my point of view, you know, and, uh, and going through hundreds and hundreds of, of, of people, you know, going out to these new places that open in the cities, we're still there. And that's, that's big for us. That's very big. Talk us a bit more through some of the details of how you keep that brand and how you keep that quality. When you're looking for a venue, an area, we're in spinning fields here, what are you looking for in terms of venue? Also, I think it'd be good to hear a bit about sourcing as well and, and yep. the quality of the ingredients that you look, you look for. So how do you make sure that you're keeping that brand throughout the product that you have? Yeah, brand, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult thing, brand. Brand isn't... A, whatever business it is, what is a brand? You know, I always ask myself that. And for me, a brand has to do with an identity and, and, and you cannot have an identity without the right people. So location, of course, matters. Um, having a good logo matters, but it's a lot more than that. For me, a brand comes with hiring the right people that will carry on doing what you are, that have the same mentality, passion, um, parameters, you know, that, that we have. Of course, that's difficult because we've got 400 employees now. So I cannot have 400 Thomases. You can imagine, that would be impossible. But we, we have very clear view on, on what we want in that sense. So when it comes down to sites, um, we, ha we have all sorts of sites. We have sites on the, what is cl classed as AAA locations, like here in Spinningfields, yeah. Um, but we also have sites that are um, uh, places that people um, see as destinations. So, for example, in Leeds, when we opened in Leeds, where we are in, in, in Granary Wharf, and there was nothing there. There was just a hotel that had just finished, and us. And we still did amazing. And if you look at what we do in Liverpool, for example, we are just behind 100 meters away from any, everybody. But we do amazing. And uh, so I think when you have a good product and a good brand, location does matter a lot. But there's some level of locations that we're happy to go to that are not triple A, because I think the brand can stand. Yeah, proven, yeah, already. Uh, but also in Edinburgh, for example, we are in AAA location. So, if I, of course, everything, you know, has to do with the more the, the more AAA location you go, the more expensive you pay, the more you pay, of course, yeah. Rates and, and rents, yeah. But we've proven that we can be in different places. So, yes, location is important for us, but we clearly realize that we don't have to have a AAA to do well, um, which is a big advantage for us. Whereas a lot of these other brands or chains that you say were backed up by private equities, they didn't care how much rent they were going to pay or rates. They, 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 they just went and, and did it because they wanted to be in a AAA location. And, and that sometimes can have a detriment to the business. But when it comes down to quality of the produce, um, I think the only way to do that is, is understanding that you need to have a big team, team of good people. Um, so when you had one restaurant, we were checking everything. But when you have two, I can't check everything. Robert couldn't check everything. So now we need to start building a better team, have better uh, chefs and, 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 and meet, meet guys that, that care about what they receive, that are happy to speak to the suppliers and tell them that they're not happy with the product. Um, but when you have three, four, five, six, like we do now, volumes have a lot to, to say. So we, at the moment, um, we, we go through a lot of meats, as you can imagine. That gives us a, a lot of buying power. A lot, you know, we've got six restaurants that probably equate to 30 normal restaurants because of the volume that people eat here of meat. So we go through over 30, nearly 35 tons of meats now a month. That's ridiculous. Um, but that's because people come and they love what they eat and they eat more and more and they come often. Um, but, um, but that equates, if you think about eight ounces steak, that equates to pretty much, you know, having 30 restaurants, yeah? Because people eat a lot more than eight ounces here. 
So then it becomes very difficult for you to pro, you know, find the right source of products. So that's when you need to get, make sure that your, your suppliers are also part of your team. And that's difficult because what we need to do is we need to make sure that these guys realize the biggest, big, the size of our business, which they do, but also they realize what we like and what we don't like. So we work with them extremely closely. I have an executive head chef, Fran Martinez, who's been with us for many years now and who actually had worked in, in Michelin star restaurants across the world. In China, he worked in El Bulli, in, in, uh, or like the Catalan people say, the Bulli, Bulli yeah, in, uh, in, in Catalonia. And uh, so he knows what quality is. So for us, that is very important. Um, he is also very good with numbers. <clears throat> so he, he understands about pricing and about sourcing as well, because he's very conscious of that. And he literally spends more time speaking to our suppliers and spends more time in their offices, yeah, than he does speaking to me, for example. Because I trust him, but I also know that the more he spends time with them, the, the, the more that they understand, the suppliers understand what we need. And do you have suppliers that you've been with you since the beginning that you continue yes. to work with? Yes. So you you want you need to keep that relationship. You want to keep yes. those. Yes. Not on the meats. I think on the meats it evolved a lot because when we were smaller, we could purchase meats from smaller people. Now with the volumes that we're doing, you know, if you think that we do, well, we do nearly seventeen thousand kilos of picanha. A cow has two picanhas and each picanha is one kilo. Imagine how many cows we're talking about here. So a small supplier cannot handle that. So, so what we do is we work with these bigger guys that work with smaller suppliers across the world, yeah? And they know what we need and they know the standards. And we buy huge batches of meats from smaller suppliers. So we know that uh, the quality and the consistency is going to be there. Um, so yeah, it, it works in a different, completely different way. But for you be. I guess because of the culture, because of the type of meat that you want to use, because yeah. of the range of meat, uh, it's it's very much an international organisation then, isn't it? It in is. In terms of the lo lo logistics. So yes. without trying to mention the dreaded Brexit word. Um, the you what? Are, Sorry, you, I didn't you are, hear that. You are, what? you are yeah. very affected by what's happening in terms of international trade, what's happening yes. in terms of international relations and so on, which yes. it's another thing which is entirely out, out of yes. your control but at the end of the day. I want to make make it clear to you that yes we we get meats from from across the world so does the whole country by the way because england is actually a net importer of meats not exporter because the consumption is a lot higher than the production and if you think about the numbers that we're talking here just to let you know we tried to source the meats locally yeah not only in england but also scotland and ireland um the problem is that no one can supply the volumes that we go through that is, that is the main issue. So, for example, in Scotland, we do have meats that are produced by local people in Scotland. So we buy that meat from Scottish people because we found a couple of people that can supply us the volumes that we need. But when we spoke to the big suppliers here in the UK, a lot of the times they say, no, because all my production is already going to supermarkets or, you know, and, and, and actually what is going on in a way as well um, is that the quality of that production the places that do big, big volumes is not good because they supply supermarkets and it's all about price. Yeah, and the ones that do great produce, they don't have volume. And so therefore the volumes, the price go very up. But when you get meats from Argentina or you get meats from Uruguay or get meats from, from you know, other countries or other places, depending what is or Denmark for, for pork, yeah, the quality is high standards, big volumes, and they export it. So then we can guarantee that that, but if you ask me if Brexit is a problem for us, in this sense, yes, a huge, 
not only because the pound dropped for a while and now it's getting a little bit up again, yeah. Um, but funny enough, the prices don't go down after the price. <laughs> they the never pound do. Goes up. You know how it is, yeah. Yeah, it's like like you 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 read that uh, you know petrol is going up and then the, the the pound goes up, but the petrol doesn't drop, and you say, what's going on? Funny enough, but yeah, it's, it's a big problem for us. Big problem for us because all, mainly all, all our vegetables they come from Europe. Um, so over that eight years, I mean, what's what's the thing that you're most proud of? If you can pl pluck one thing out, well, clearly the team. You know, I um, I am proud because the team does reflect our values. The team, the people that we have working with us for a long time. I've got people that's been with us for seven years. I have a not one person left in the business that started with us, I think. No, no, no one that started with us from day one, but we had people that came on the second wave. Because I, I, my, the, how I see restaurants is that you have three big waves of people. The first wave is, you know, you hire the best that you can. So you open the doors, no one knows who you are, you hire the best that you can that comes to the door, and they're not necessarily the, the best ones because the best guys are working in the restaurants that are doing great. And then six months down the line, you have the first wave. And that first wave is six months down the line, you say, listen, I need more people because we're doing great. And I'm going to get rid of the bad ones because they are bad. Yeah. And you start getting a little bit more attention of, of, of these people that are working in the good places. And then the second wave is after one year. After one year is the second big wave when you did great. People know that you're doing amazing. Therefore, the people that are working in other restaurants, they say, yeah, I fancy a change. I'm going to go to Fazenda or to Bicanya or to a new restaurant. And then that's is what I call the second wave. We have a lot of people from the second wave, yeah? And they grew with us. So, uh, for example, our head office. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, our senior managers, most of them have been with us for many, many years. And, uh, and not only local site-level managers, I'm talking about bringing, becoming, you know, HR manager, you know, um, accounts managers, that kind of stuff, you know? They, they, they've been with us for many years and they understand us just the same way that... Yeah. So, so I mean, keeping with the staff, how do you evolve your training systems? How has that changed as you've uh, you've expanded? I mean, what we see constantly is is the the churn in staff in, in the F and B sector, and how do you keep people? Look, the churning in staff happens for a number of reasons, and one of them is because people don't see this industry the way they should, as a place to work, live that can give you good money and satisfaction, and you can have a good life. Here in the UK, that's a big problem. Yeah. So if you ask me, we've got a big turnover of staff like everybody else, but we do a lot better than the average in the industry. So our average as a business is nearly 40%. It's just under 40%. You look at it as a normal business and you look at it, that's ridiculous. Because you think how much money that costs you to train people. We talk about two weeks that this person won't be able to do anything. It's two weeks of wages per individual, 40% is a huge number. But you know we're happy to pay it because we need to make sure that the training is good. But if I go back to the beginning, our training wasn't great. With the, with the years, we started getting better. We had, you know, a HR team. We, we get better teams. We get better systems. We develop our, our training material. Now we use an, an online training facility as well that, that helps them to do, you know, extra training as they go. But it, it, the training is, is an essential part, not only for them to, to learn what they need to do here, but for them to understand who we are. Yeah, because as I said before, I think... The values and for these people to be another Thomas is essential <clears throat> because that's what service is about. It's not about not making mistakes. It's about having that passion and in interacting with the guests and making them feel special. That's what we do. So I need to make sure that these people understand our values. 
Um, are you still proud when a good member of staff has gone to got promoted and gone to another venue? And yes, because that means that this guy is good and they were hired because they came from us. Yes, but of course I'm not entirely happy when that happens because I. My, it's irritating, thing, but you can still be. No, proud. it's not irritating because I have to hire someone else. My feeling is, what could we have done for this guy not to leave? But then when you when you look at those forty percent turnover that we have, only five percent actually is people going to another place. Most people go back to either the countries or they start working what they studied or they leave the city because they want to go back to their city because they're studying here. So the day that this industry is about people realizing that they can live out of the industry and have a very satisfactory life, then people will stay here longer because they won't change jobs. They won't start working an admin somewhere else or, or you know, you, you won't have people that are studying law or medicine and being working as a waiter. No, it will be people that want to have a career in waitressing or, 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 or being managers of this industry. And then you're gonna have better people. That's my opinion about it. But we're very lucky because we are doing amazing. The word out there is that we are very good with people. Therefore, actually last year, last financial year, because it was still this year, yeah? Um, we won the Caterers Award for the best restaurants, employer restaurants in the, in the country, yeah? There were two other people above us, but they were uh, hotels. But the restaurants, we were the best restaurants in the country as employer. So that's that's a massive award for Absolutely, us. Absolutely, especially for uh, you know four, five, six venues. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How did you get involved with Tast? Um, friendship. Um, we we have the people from Manchester City coming here all the time um, to Fazenda. We became good friends, and one day they told us that they wanted to do this uh, little, uh, you know, adventure, um, and they sold it to us, and uh, and we said, yeah, let's let's do it together, and uh, so it's purely down to friendship, and um, yeah, we're, we're happy that we did it. It's doing amazing. Um, I still think that it can do a lot better once people um, realize, but because I I think that um, people in the UK are scared sometimes to take risks. Um, people in the UK like the, the, the safe bets. And funnily enough, when they go abroad, they take the risks. So they go to these restaurants that are challenging, that will take their flavor profile to something different. Um, but when they are here, they feel, oh my God, that looks very uh, difficult for me to understand. And they don't, don't give that, those places an option. I think that's one of the reasons why so amazing, so many amazing restaurants outside London struggle to do well is because people are scared of going and doing it here but when they go abroad they do it so i think we need more people to feel like that this this for me eating out is an experience and sometimes it's not necessarily always to repeat the same experience that we had before so people feel comfortable in some areas and for them a good experience is a experience within what they know is good for me an experience is something that's always challenging my mind and my heart and my body. So then my opinion is, be brave, go out there, go to all these new restaurants that are different, face it. Even if you don't like it, it will make you a better person. What's next then for, the, uh, for Fazenda? For Fazenda, we're opening Birmingham next week. Yeah, it's a big uh, thing for us. We are already looking for other sites. Um, but uh, we don't have anything lined up yet. Do you feel now, as you've moved on, that you, you know, you, you, firstly, you know what you're looking for in terms of yes. where the venue has to be, and you know the process then of opening the rest. You must know how opening the venue is not that difficult for us. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not easy. Yeah, but it's not it's not that hard for us because um, we know it, we understand it. Opening different brands 
uh, that pays a big toll on on your on your stamina, yeah, it's because it's, it's so many things that you need to start from scratch that are very hard. But uh, yes, I think we know what we want, and I know who we are, and that also makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, classic question to an entrepreneur, but what do you think your biggest mistake has been? Oh, I've done so many. Uh, you're asking me, I guess, not personal, because personal ones... Oh, yeah, not personal. <laughs> I mean business ones. Um, I think um, the biggest mistake that I made or that we made as a, as a collective um, businessman, for me, was not to realise the importance of having a, 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 a big um, head office team. Big, not in, in the numbers, but strong head office team. Because a couple of years ago, we opened um, two restaurants in the same year, um, two new brands, and we didn't have the infrastructure to do it. And it was very hard on everybody. Very, very hard, very hard. And I think you need to have the right people, which we do now, um, on head office to support the existing teams, but also to have enough time to deliver the result that we want out there. Um, and we've done it, we delivered, yeah. One of them didn't work out very well, which was Bossa. Unfortunately, I think the market wasn't ready for, for what we were bringing. Uh, the location wasn't good either for us. Um, I still believe that that concept could eventually work one day. Um, but um, it, it, it did cost us on, 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 on the mental aspect of things. You know, we were very stressed. Uh, we were very tired by the end of that year. It wasn't, it wasn't a good place to be by the end of that year. But now we're in a better position and uh, we've got a better team. So uh, hopefully we'll learn from the lesson. But I know that we make a lot of other mistakes going forwards. Yeah. As long as you learn from them, that's the important thing, isn't it? Um, do you think over that last eight years that you've been operating, do you think, um, I mean, we've seen such a huge growth in, uh, I've got a meeting at Anko's tonight, and Anko's three years ago, there were no restaurants in, or there might have been one, uh, and we're seeing 16, 20 probably that are open now. There have been such a growth in independent, launches of independent restaurants, launches of independent bars with food as well. Um, do you think that the people that are launching those, there's the sort of the sharing of skills and knowledge that say in the tech sector, you know, there's a path for a startup entrepreneur. Do you think there's that sort of training? And is that something that, I don't know, might be valuable to do? Do you pass on to other people? Do you talk to other people? Do you mentor other people? We do. Um, we do uh, mentor other people. I am sure that a couple of the guys that work with us now on, on, on the senior level would very much like to open their own stuff at some point in their lives. Um, I think that people um, that are passionate about this industry uh, and they're not necessarily understanding because sometimes people don't understand it that well, but they're passionate about it. Um, they, they do make a difference. And so why don't encourage people to stop doing it? Because, you know, the more variety and the more um, new things that are out there raises the level up for everybody. Yeah. So the experience, as I said before, having different things makes makes us better as human beings. So not only the experience that I experience, but also the experience for the city changes. So I'm looking about Manchester now very quickly and thinking if I'm someone that comes from abroad and I landed in the city 15 years ago, um, I would have left the city thinking, yeah, it was a good city, but you know there wasn't that much to go to. You know, we can name three restaurants that were busy or famous at that time. Yeah, 15 years ago, and that was it. Whereas now someone landing landing in the city and wants to go to a football game or or is a businessman, the options are a lot more. And 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 that for me makes the city a better city. It makes the north of England a better, a better, a better, you know, overall a better place for people to come to as well. 
because London has always been London and it will carry on being London. But people need to embrace it a lot more in order for this to carry on going because the market is just so tough at the moment. Yeah, and without giving any names, people still sometimes go to places, as I said before, just because they're bling bling and they're famous or it's the same place I've been going all my life. And, uh, and I heard about this new place that people say is very good, but have you been? No. Well, why don't you go? Support these people. Go and do it. Even if you don't like it afterwards, if you don't go, you won't have that experience. And then you won't be able to say, you know what? It made me a better person because now I understand I'm just talking rubbish here now octopus or I've tried for the first time in my life um, bacalhau or whatever it is yeah so if you try things for the first time in your life you're gonna be a better person and and I think people need to be open to experience these things I, I found this with, um, as I talk on the podcast quite a lot about my daughters uh, with my seven year, seven year old who's traditionally been quite a picky eater um, but she discovered sushi about six months ago and now all she wants is sushi which is very expensive when you want yeah. to through Waitrose and go can I have sushi for lunch yeah. not, not that £10 a day yeah. but it's fascinating because as a result of that she's got really interested in Japanese culture and it's like well how is this made and how is this done and was, so, so she's, now we have to watch and, and because of all those Japanese programs about mad chefs and weird chefs yeah. which have a lot of swe swearing and uh, midnight Diner and things like that, which you, which you wouldn't watch. Um, it's fascinating because there, there's an endless array of shows on Netflix about Japanese culture from the point of view of chefs and, and the importance of it. So that, that, that was the first time I've sort of really, really seen how close, really close up, how actually just having this little thing of tasting some food and liking some food and then suddenly going, actually, there's all this stuff behind it, which seeing it through a child's, eye, a child's eyes is quite amazing. Well, you're talking about a child now, but I, I'll be surprised that... Uh... You know, there's a lot of people out there that, that never tried food from a lot of other countries. Ethiopian food, just as an example, yeah? Um, and, uh, and what I, 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 I know that someone said this and I cannot quote this person because I don't know who it is, but I do believe that you learn from other cultures through their food. You know, I think that the food of different cultures say a lot about the culture. Um, and that's why I, I, again, I strongly believe for people to be open and try things and learn about other cultures that way. A, a huge advantage of, of living in, in, in a country like England is that you've got cultures from everywhere. You know, I come from Argentina. In Argentina, there are not that many other restaurants, not that many Pakistani restaurants or Indian restaurants. Or Must be some Welsh accent. Some Welsh guys down south. Yes, loads of sheep and, and Welsh people down there. But, um, but you know, it's, it's changed in the last few years. Uh, as well in Argentina as, as it's changing across the world, but but embrace this 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 openness to the world, which I think is is is, is amazing. I, I always tell this story that I always loved wine, yeah, but um, but really when I, I I went bananas about wine was here in England, not in Argentina. I come from a wine producing country, yeah. It's because in Argentina I used to drink, you know, with my friends the same five different brands and it was Malbec or Cabernet Sauvignon and it was I knew what I was drinking and we drink all the same thing I arrived here I went to I know I'm not going to say many brands but I went to the supermarket and I went to the wine aisle and literally my, my, my jaw just dropped and it was a supermarket it wasn't even a wine shop this was the first thing I did when I arrived we need to buy supplies let's go to the supermarket went to this little island it's, Jesus Christ wines from everywhere and I started buying wines from different places. And that's when, you, that's when you learn. That's when you really understand. And that's when I started probably spending more money in wines than anything else. But uh, that's what happens. Uh, accept that we are here 
in an amazing position, embrace it, but be free and do it. Don't have anything in your mind that feels you tied up to going to the safe places because being safe is not the way to live your life. Excellent. I think we'll leave it there. A wonderful manifesto to end on. Thank you to Thomas for joining us and for hosting us. Uh, we'll probably be talking to more restaurants based in the city, but I don't know that we'll have such a global perspective as a result. Uh, the podcast is up on all good podcast services, probably a few terrible ones as well. If you want to talk to us, talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.